God, it's true. You are all we need. We can't keep ourselves alive. You do that. We can't foresee the future. Only you can do that. You're all we need, but what we just sang was, you're all I want. Now that's a whole different question. So I invite you, Holy Spirit of God, to look deeply into my heart and my life and that of these, my friends. Did we just sing truth? You're all I need and you're all I want. And did we just sing truth, help me draw near? Do we really want to draw near to God? Really? Is that possible? In the quietness of this moment, my friend, right where you stand, the God who made you and who has sustained your life from your first breath until now would like to hear what you have to say to him. In the quietness of your heart, you have an opportunity to have a conversation with God. What's weighing heavy on you today? What's painful, what's confusing that you need God's help with? What is wonderful and you want to thank God for? And why don't you ask God to speak into your life in the next few minutes what he knows you need to hear since he knows more about you than you know about you and since he can see the future as clearly as if it was happening right now that means he knows everything that's going to happen in your life next week why don't you invite him to speak into your heart and mind what he knows you need to get ready for next week thank you God for the privilege you've given us this morning of glorious magnificent worship that has drawn us into your presence in spirit and in truth Speak now, for we are listening, please. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I invite you to be seated, my friends, as I dismiss uh, the children to some wonderful adults who have been preparing for you, little ones up through grade four. I wonder, <clears throat> who would it be if you could just get two or three minutes with someone very, very special that you think might significantly influence your life, who might that be? And what if that person sent word to you that not only would they like to offer you two or three minutes, they'd like to get to know you. In fact, they'd like to be your friend. What if God sent word to you that he would like to be your friend. We started a journey last weekend. It's the summer journey, the 100 days of summer, and there's our theme, embracing true significance. What it means is far too many people are going through life just willing to survive, just existing day to day. And far too many people are almost desperate. They're obsessed to be significant pardon me, to be successful, even if their success means stepping on somebody else. But God has called us to consider that he's designed us to be significant. And last week we began that journey that you and I are created in his image. 
the only thing in all that he created in his image and for that reason you are significant amen look at the front of your worship folder this week because a paragraph I wrote for you there helps you to understand what he'd like to talk to us about today while God has created and sustains our universe magnificently only with humanity does God pursue a living vibrant relationship is that possible that God is pursuing you because he's designed you to have a relationship with him that's vibrant we are designed by God to flourish in that relationship and we are designed to decay outside of that relationship think about that a minute you will emotionally shrivel up and eventually implode if you do not find and develop a relationship with God God made you that way how do you measure the authenticity and the health of your relationship with God last week we invited you into the hundred day journey and this you'll remember that was in your worship folder and if you didn't get one they're at the welcome center we'll help you to read two chapters of the Bible every day with us and if we're all on the same journey every weekend the message that we'll be bringing to you is from the chapters that you'd be reading that weekend so this weekend it's Genesis 13 14 15 16 so would you turn there with me please in your Bible first book of the Bible let's go to Genesis 12 if you didn't happen to bring a copy of God's Word there's one under the chair in front of you <clears throat> ten generations after the flood that great flood that's described in Genesis chapter 6 a little boy was born and his family named him Abram he had two other brothers and their dad was named Terah we meet him at the end of the 11th chapter of Genesis they grew up the brothers married one died for some reason Terah the dad and we don't know why decided we need to leave this place where we where we now live and, and move to a different place the city where they lived was kind of the the Chicago of their day of that part of the world Ur it's called of the Chaldeans there's a couple places called Ur but the one that most archaeologists and Bible scholars believe is this Ur is down near the Persian Gulf in modern-day Iraq that means Abraham was an Iraqi can you get your mind around that last evening as I shared that one of the folks in our church family who has been in Iraq on duty and there was an American Air Force base down where he served the archaeological dig of Ur was right outside the fence line of that Air Force base it was a great city from what we know a business center an education center but it had all kinds of religions and lots of immorality and for some reason this dad Tara says we're getting out of here let's move and they went almost 700 miles north and settled for a while in a place called Haran there Tara died and you see the next verse of chapter 12 the Lord God had said to Abram leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you I'll make you into a great nation in other words there will be peoples lots of them will, that will descend from you and I will bless you don't you love the fact that God was taking the initiative to come to a person Abram 
that he had created just like you and rather than come to him and tell him can I please tell you what a mess you've made of your life uh, how there, there's so much wrong in your life I want to point rather than that he says can I tell you how much God loves you and I want to bless you but it can't happen here in this town let's go we got to go to a new place where you're not surrounded by all of this I wonder how many of you have moved especially when you were younger and it wasn't your choice your parents chose to move and I don't mean across town I mean across the country or maybe to another country can I see your hands a serious move you packed it all up and you went and you went to a new place where you had to make new friends and and new home and new schools and, and new church and all those things maybe even a new language yeah there is a, a little phrase called TCK it means third culture kids the Bradford kids are third culture kids uh, the, the Erickson kids back there are TCK's third culture kids I'm a third culture kid my daughter's a third culture kid it, it means that you were born in one place and you have a passport from that nation but you have been moved to another place and you're growing up in a different culture Abraham was a third culture kid he didn't finish his life in Ur and there's all kinds of interesting things about us one of them is we can't figure out where home is <laughs> and we can adjust to almost any place pretty quickly there's a lot of other things and we'll talk about those some other time hmm the Lord had said to Abraham leave your country when did he say that I don't know maybe he had whispered it into Abram's ear when Abram's dad Terah had said come on we're packing up and leaving here and maybe Abram did what you did when your dad said we're moving I don't want to move my friends are here I like it here maybe it was when they were up in Haran and his dad Terah died for whatever reason God hasn't told us when but it's clear that Abraham had lots of, lots of time to think about it he had time to think about these promises and I will make your name great it means I'm going to develop your character into being a great man and you will be a blessing it means all the people who know you will be glad they did because you'll be a blessing to them I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse whoever curses you and all the peoples on earth will be blessed by you it means that the descendants from him the Jewish people would be the people that God would raise up to say this is what it looks like when a people know me and I call them my people and they live according to my statutes but it would also mean that from him would come a descendant many generations later called Jesus the Christ who would make it possible for any person anywhere in the world to come to know God and to be forgiven of their sin amen whenever you have an encounter with God it's a crisis of belief because in that moment you have to decide what do I really believe about God and what he's telling me Abraham was facing a crisis of belief leave your home and your family and follow me so verse 4 Abram left as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him what does that tell you about what Abram believed about God he believed he was real he believed he was sovereign he believed he was trustworthy so that he could pack up and leave his family and follow a crisis of belief in response to an encounter with God 
You know that when we worship in this place on Saturday evenings or Sunday mornings, our worship leaders have been spending hours praying over, God, what is the way you would like to be worshipped? What songs will bring us into an encounter with you in their truth? That's how Pastor Mark has put this morning's worship service together with the help of all of those who helped him. So did you have an encounter with God in the last 40 minutes or so? Did the truth jump off the screen as you sang it and it penetrated deeply into your heart? What you do next after you've had an encounter with God shows you and us what you really believe about God. Do you have encounters with God when you read His Word? And does it stir you to action? Abraham stepped out and did what God called him to do. That's followership. He was following Him in a growing relationship and his family went with him. Watch that carefully, my friends. Because when you respond to your encounter with God, it will directly affect the people who are closest to you. His family went with him. There's no indication that his family had heard from God. He had heard from God. But his family now lived in the shadow of him being obedient to God's call in his life. I grew up like that as my parents responded to the call to leave this town and go to Haiti. That wasn't my choice. But my mother and dad had heard it clearly, and for that reason I have a passion for the country there, as you know, in which I grew up. My daughter didn't have a choice either. And it's likely that you didn't have some choices in your life when your parents made decisions. The question is, were you confident that they were following the call of God on their lives? Or were they just pursuing success? Hmm. They traveled for weeks, and they arrived in what is today modern-day Israel, an area called Shechem in verse 6. And there the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, To your offspring I will give this land. In other words, you will have children, even though you don't have any yet, and this will be your new homeland. I'm giving it to you. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. I don't exactly know what the word appeared means. Was it a vision? Was it a dream? Was it an epiphany where, where God actually appeared in physical form to him? If it was, you're looking at an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He built an altar and he worshipped. Followership will always lead you to worship. As you decide that when you have an encounter with God, you're going to obediently step out in faith following what he's believed you to do, you will start worshiping. And when you do, the relationship between you and him starts to really develop and deepen. You see it happens again in a couple of verses later. They moved from there to a place near Bethel, and he built another altar, and he worshiped. He called on the name of the Lord. He inquired of God. But look at the next verse, verse 10. Now there was famine in the land. I wonder, do you believe that, that as long as you are following God obediently, as long as you're being as spiritual as you can be, everything will be wonderful for you? Right here, Abraham was doing the best he knew how to do <clears throat> to, to really be in a really good place spiritually, but there's famine in the land. Uh, yeah. Sometimes as you're following as closely as you can follow to God, you find yourself in a place where there's famine, right? Things are not pretty. Look what happened. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Do you see something missing? Twice 
He has built an altar and he has called upon God, but not this time. There's no evidence that he asked God about it. Men, my brothers in the room, have you ever been in that place? Where you're doing the best you can to provide for your family, you're doing the best you can to be a good leader in your family, and you find yourself in a famine situation. Things aren't going well, and you need to make a decision. And you feel responsible. And so you assess the situation as best you can, and you say to your dear wife and your children, we didn't ask for this situation, but I've got to do something. I'm the dad in this family. Pack up. We're going. And then you realize, wait a minute. I didn't ask God about this. But it's too late. You're already heading down the road. You're already in that new place. You've already quit your job and gotten another job. My dear friends, our families live in our shadows, don't they? The family went with Abram, and as they headed down to Egypt, things got worse. Watch this carefully. Abram was in that place of embracing significance in his growing relationship with God. But now, may I suggest to you that he turned away from that and he focused on success. How can I successfully lead my family through this famine disaster? And then he focused on survival. How can I just survive the famine? He turned away from, we all have that natural tendency to drift away from God, don't we, friends? No matter how wonderful your relationship with God is, be careful. There is down deep inside of you a natural tendency to drift away from God. And that's what happened here. And as they're on their way going down to Egypt, Abram is thinking, I don't really don't know about these Egyptians. I've heard some crazy things about them. And he sees that his wife is beautiful, and he says to his wife, Sarai, they're not going to understand that we're married. We don't have any children. So tell you what, you tell them that I'm your brother. You're my sister. Because if you don't, they're likely to kill me just to get you. You see how his thinking is spiraling downward? And he's putting his family at risk? Well, sure enough, that's what they did. And sure enough, the Pharaoh of the land, the Bible tells us there, saw she was beautiful and took her into his own house as his own wife. And then God lashed out against him and disease came into his family. And finally, he figured it out and he came back to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, whoever you are, you're a liar. And I'm suffering because of your deceit. She's your wife, not your sister. Take her and get out of here. See, what can happen when you and I turn away from our pursuit of significance with God and we settle for success or for survival? They went back, and chapter 13 tells us that he came back to that same place, Bethel, and he built an altar, and he did the very best thing. God, I'm so sorry. I drifted, and I didn't realize it, but I've come back to you now. Please forgive me. Very important. Repentance is the step back from drift. And when you do that, God will respond, and he'll forgive, and then he'll begin to restore the relationship that was broken. It's wonderful, but, but... We live with the consequences of our drift, don't we? Don't we? It tells us there in chapter 13 that he had become very wealthy down in Egypt. And you would think that's wonderful, but have you discovered that sometimes what appears to be wonderful can actually be a curse? Now Lot and Abraham are so full of, of, of bounty, flocks and herds, there's not enough grass for all of them. And so the family has to separate they stand on a hillside and they look down over and Lot says, oh, the city's down there. Those are kind of fun. 
Evidently, something had awakened in him to be attracted to the cities, and he moves down near Sodom and Gomorrah, while Abraham continues to travel with his family, seeking the face of God, building another altar, and asking God for direction. If you're a parent or a grandparent in this room, and you've done the best you can to help your children follow in your footsteps as you were trying to follow God, you know the pain of this man. You can imagine Abraham standing there rubbing his hands, wringing his hands. God, what happened? I've tried the best I know how to, to show Lot. And yes, I made a terrible mistake, but I repented and I had him right with me at the altar repenting. But his heart, God, has turned away from you and he knows the right path, but he's turned away and he's gone down near Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure you have figured out you can pray for your kids and your grandkids and you can beg them and you can teach them, but you can't force them to change their hearts, can you? And we live with the pain, don't we, of watching our kids and our grandkids make the choices that we know they're going to end up at the end of a dark alley and it's very painful down there, right? Several times Abraham had to go and rescue Lot out of that disaster. But if you'll continue reading two chapters a, week, a day with me this week, you'll read the story of Lot and the disaster that came to him as a result of that decision and his family. There's a verse that struck me this week in my study found in Psalm chapter 1. You'll see it on the screen. It goes something like this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now think about that. Who are the people that you allow to speak into your life with advice? Is there anybody that you allow to speak into your life with their ideas that is not giving you good counsel, God-honoring counsel? If so, why do you keep allowing them to speak into your life? Or does not stand in the way of sinners. Look closely at your social network. The people who are around you at your invitation, the people you enjoy being with, are they helping you become the man or the woman of God that you really want to be, or they keep drawing you back into that dark place? Or sit in the seat of the mockers. Anybody in your life, in your world, that has some influence in you, and you know they mock God. But... The man who can count on being blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, the word of, of God. And on that law, on his truth, meditates day and night. Amen? You see the difference between Lot and Abraham? Years passed. Chapter 15, Abraham has another encounter with God. And the word of the Lord came to Abraham, this time in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your protector, your strength, and your very great reward. But years had passed since that initial promise, and Abram was in a place probably very much like where you and I have been. Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? You haven't kept your promise, God, is what he's saying. And the one who will inherit my estate is a foreigner, Eliezer of Damascus. Does God sometimes not work at your pace? Is he most often slower than you'd like him to be? I'll admit I find myself there sometimes. Come on, God. I know you're busy with 7 billion people. Could we move this along a little faster? And when he doesn't work at the pace that you'd like him to work, what do you do about that? Well, look here, Abram's feeling pretty courageous. God, you're letting me down here. You promised me children, a great nation. It's been 10 years. Shouldn't take you that long to make a baby, God. 
You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He'd come, obviously, to a place in his life where he was thinking about who's going to get all that I've accumulated. And the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up, Abraham, count the stars if you think you can. (laughs) The descendants who will come from you will be more than the stars in the sky. Can you believe that, Abraham? Can you set aside your frustrated heart, your impatience with me, and trust me? Do you see what it says next? And Abram believed God. Amen. And God responded by crediting it to him as righteousness. It's the same as our salvation experience. You believe the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and God credits it to you as righteousness and declares you forgiven. Amen. Chapter 16, now Sarai, his wife, said, Honey, I'm getting older and so are you, and we still don't have children. And God promised us children, so I got an idea. Don't you love it, men, when your wife comes to you and says, I've got an idea. I love it. (laughs) Great. What's your idea? Well, God has kept me from having children. Right there, Abraham should have said, wait a minute. No, 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 no. But he didn't say anything. So, honey, I love you, but go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build my family through her. Because obviously God isn't doing what he said he would do. You see a problem or two or three there? Do you see this dear woman who we understand has a broken heart? She'd love to be a mother. We understand that. But her broken heart has turned to a blaming heart. God has kept me from having children. Ooh, that's a dangerous place to be. Would you agree? When you start blaming God, that's a dangerous place to be. And almost always when you're blaming God, it's because you're no longer looking at life through God's eyes, from God's perspective. What does my life look like from God's? No, no, you're looking at it now from what do I want? What's best for me? God's letting me down. And that's a dangerous way to look at life. Would you agree, my friends? A very dangerous way to look at life. So I'm going to build my own family. And here's the way we'll do it, husband. Go sleep with my servant. Now, in that culture, that was appropriate. We understand that. Abraham agreed, pardon me, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. That tells me that he's on the journey with God, but he's not there yet. His character is not yet developed to a place where God can trust him with what God wants to do in his life. Did you hear what I just said? Can you ask yourself this question? God, is my character developed yet to the place where you can trust me with all that you would like to accomplish in me and through me? Or are you, God, having to hold back from what you'd like to do because my character has not yet been developed enough that you can trust me? Wow. That's what was happening here. And Abraham showed it. He was showing that he wasn't strong enough emotionally or spiritually to set his wife straight and help her see, wait a minute, we're not in the blaming God business here. 
Let's remember all that God has done for us. Wait a minute. God said that he's going to bless us with children, and while it might be culturally appropriate, we're not going there. So he did. And a son was born, Ishmael. And if you'll read through the scripture with me this week, you'll see what a desperate situation that was because now we've got a child in the family and there's jealousy and there's division and there's all kinds of stuff going on, remember? Just a little paragraph from this book. Boy, if you haven't gotten this book yet, I urge you to get it. Enemies of the heart, we have them out there at the Welcome Center. Listen, when we think of jealousy, for that's what was now happening in this family, we think of things that other people have that we lack. Looks, talent, health, height, money, connections, and so on. And we think that we have a problem with the person who possesses what we lack. And we say, God could have fixed all of that. Whatever he's given to your neighbor, he could have given to you. The bottom line is this. If God had taken care of you the way he has taken care of some other people that you know, you'd be in a much better place relationally, professionally, and financially. You see, your real problem isn't with the people whose stuff you envy. It's with your creator. God owes you, and you're holding a grudge against God. And until you face up to this simple but oh-so-convicting truth, jealousy will continue to terrorize your life and wreak havoc in your relationships. Isn't that true? That's what was happening here. And so God speaks again, only God let him wallow in this mess for about another 10 years. And finally, chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, God appeared to him again and said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. Walk before me and be blameless. He'd never said that before to Abram. Walk before me. It means for the rest of your life, Think of yourself, Abraham, as you're walking right in front of me, and I'm watching every step, and I'm here, and I love you, but I'm a holy God. Be blameless as you walk. And then he reaffirmed the covenant. I'm going to bless you. In fact, nations are going to come from you, and so I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, the father of nations. And I'm going to change your wife's name from Sarai to Sarah, and I'll bless you with the miracle son I promised 25 years ago. And then he gave him the sign of the covenant. And every time we as men read that chapter, we, we want to flip the page and go to the next page. Ooh, it just seems barbaric. Circumcision. Have you ever wondered why? Couldn't a holy God come up with something better than circumcision? <laughs> than being the sign of the covenant? Huh? May I tell you that I have wondered that for a long time, and this week, this week... I think I got it. And I didn't, I didn't read it any place. It just, I was in earnest for God. I'm going to stand in front of several hundred people. Come on, help me. What is this? And if you link chapter 16 and chapter 17 together, there it is. The only way that Ishmael came into existence was for Abraham saying, I'm taking control of this situation. Now, men... God is calling you and me and every other living man. Walk before me and be blameless. I'm a holy God and I want you to be a holy man. And the number one weapon that the devil uses against everyone that is of us is that is men is what? Sexuality. Right? 
He tempts us in the mind, pictures, images, a thousand things. And then our hearts get involved in it. Circumcision, why? Because if you're going to move from a temptation in your mind and your heart to any kind of action, you're going to have to deal with that mark, circumcision. Walk before me and be blameless. Think about that. A mark of holiness. A mark where God says to the man, your sexuality is a sacred, wonderful thing. Guard it carefully. Don't ever share it outside of the bond of marriage. Don't even think about it. So I'm going to give you a mark that in your sexuality, you'll remember I've called you to be a holy people. Amen? Do you get it? It's the mark of the covenant. You're called to be a holy man. Walk before me and be blameless and bear the mark of a holy man. And if your body begins to respond inappropriately, the mark will remind you and step back from that precipice. That's why I think circumcision is the mark. Because we men are called to be the spiritual and the moral leaders of our families. And when we step away from that, it rips the family apart, doesn't it? As the devil reaches in and wounds deeply and breaks the hearts of wives and children. And that which wounds them most deeply is adultery and sexual immorality. The mark of holiness. Ponder that with me. Abraham learned that he had been designed by God not to just be significant because he was created in God's image, but to be significant in a living, vibrant relationship with God that called him to be a holy man and to lead his family right and in holiness, following him. And every time he stepped off the path, God challenged him. Now, as we're getting ready to walk to the table of communion, these men are going to be serving us. They're going to bring the communion to you today. We walked in the earlier service and we walked last night. And I'd like to invite you to remember that the bread that you're going to be served in just a moment is a reminder that Jesus Christ took the punishment for your sin and mine upon himself so that God can declare you a holy man, a holy woman, a holy young person. And that you and your relationship with a holy God can live that holiness every day. Why don't we talk to him right now about that? Why don't you thank him that he's not just designed you as this magnificent creature and then let you just run willy-nilly. He's designed you for relationship with him. And that that relationship that he's designed you for is a holy relationship. If you sense that you've been drifting like Abraham was for a while there, why don't you come back to him? Why don't you ask him to forgive you of your drift and to restore the relationship that he has designed you for and that Jesus died to pay for, to purchase? And if you've never, ever come to a place where you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, may I suggest that right now is a perfect moment when you look at your own life and you recognize that there's sin in your life and it just keeps getting more and more and more and you can't do anything about it. And that you're going to come to the end of your life and there's no way that you're going to be able to 
even think about stepping into heaven because of all the sin in your life. But Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin and God is ready to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you and draw you into relationship with him. And he promises to walk the journey of life every day for the rest of your life with you. He's simply waiting for you to acknowledge your need of a Savior and ask Him to save you. Here at Calvary, you don't need to be a member of Calvary Community Church to receive communion, but we ask you to be sure that you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior. And we're giving you a few moments right now to make sure that your heart and your mind is prepared and pure before God to receive communion. Gentlemen, would you please serve us the bread?